three toys from a particular year. And you have to tell me which one is the most popular. So if we can just get a few, a few shouts, a little bit of participation. We have the Etch-a-Sketch Mastermind Board Game and the Space Hopper. I don't know if you know what the Space Hopper is. Anybody know what the Space Hopper is? It's like a yoga ball, basically, right? That you bounce on. Which one do we got? Uh, let, me, let me just quick hands, Etch-a-Sketch. Okay. Etch-a-Sketch. Mastermind board game. Okay. Space hopper. Really? Well done, you. Well done, you. Okay, that was for the 70s kids. I'm sure we got none of those in here. 80s kids. Or more like parents of 80s kids. Care Bears. G.I. Joe ABC. That amphibious personnel carrier, and a Cabbage Patch Kids doll. Okay, let's see quick hands. Care Bears. Okay, okay. G.I. Joe. Cabbage Patch Kids dolls. <laughs> Care Bears won the year. <laughs> that is, okay, 90s kids, where are we at? Buzz Lightyear. Tickle Me Elmo. Space Jam action figures. Okay, Buzz Lightyear, anybody in the room? Okay. Tickle Me Elmo. Oh, did the Tickle Me Elmo craze not get over here? Oh, oh. Space Jam action figures. It was certainly the Tickle Me Elmo. This is like people people breaking down doors, running people over. That was my earliest memory of, of chaos on Black Friday. 2017? Younger kids, we got the Nintendo Switch, the fidget spinner, and fingerlings. I had actually, admittedly, I had to look up what fingerlings were. I had no clue. And they look kind of cool. They're like these little animals you stick on your fingers. And uh, you can get like a squirrel head and then have a squirrel age on each, uh, each of the things. I think Chronic knows what they are. Okay, Nintendo Switch. Okay. Fidget spinner. You are on the fingerlings. I think we had three for three over there. I don't have much time to go through all these, but if you want a little bit of a walk down memory lane, here's the big list. You can just Google it as well. Um, they used a bunch of research for this. Um, we'll move into the 80s a bit, into the 90s. Let's go Power Rangers. TMNT. Optimus Prime. Now we'll move a bit more. 90s to the 2000s. I have no clue what Robo Sapien is. I know what Pokemon is. It's Furby. Now, here's the last one. And I guess 2020 is kind of a sign of the time, but I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> bit of a Disney Plus subscription in 2020. So those were deemed to be the most popular Christmas presents of that. So why... Did I take a trip down memory lane? Well, two parts. First, to remember the anticipation. I don't know what your guys' childhood was like, but I absolutely loved Christmas morning. I was a weird kid that would always tell my parents, oh, no, I don't need anything for Christmas. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Christmas morning came, and thankfully we got it, so I'm pretty sure I would have been a bit heartbroken. I don't know, as kids, we would, we would get up, you'd try to wake your parents up, try to get down. Usually parents would be like, no, not until 9 o'clock. We'd just be sitting there waiting. 
And then the first thing we would do as a family is we'd all get hot chocolate, marshmallows and chocolate, of course. And then we would sit down and we would read the Christmas story because we knew it was going to be something special. We'd do this, and then it was time for stockings. Stockings are pretty popular thing over here. I should have asked you this because I'm sure Bill would have been better at that. But we had a, a bit of a rule in our family. Now, I'm one of six kids. And uh, to kind of make it fair, we would do stockings in reverse order as a family. So we would be the youngest. My parents would go first. And we'd wait because the youngest would get the most um, presents, so to speak. Now, I became a bit infamous. Um, I'm the third oldest, 13 years older than my youngest brother. So when I was nine, I was really sick. I had a bit more attention and he couldn't open his stocking until I finished it. So I would slowly take it out one piece at a time. I'd read the nutrition facts of my Snickers. He's quite a bit older today. We still laugh about it, but I can still hear his young voice in my head saying, just dump it, just dump it. Lots of good memories of Christmas. After stockings, we begin to open presents. The excitement, the anticipation would build. One gift after another would be torn open. We didn't really care about the wrapping paper. Anybody here like Christmas enough to open up wrapping paper and eat one? You wouldn't want to. I see a couple nods. Some faces. Whether it was a toy, uh, a new book, a video game, uh, we'd spend the next few hours usually playing with our new gifts, often relishing in the excitement of something new to discover. Something you just knew would make you happy. I have uh, almost all good memories of Christmas as a kid, but I'd be lying if I said there was never a feeling of disappointment. Uh, have you ever had that feeling? You, uh, Even though you're grateful and you're force yourself to smile and say thank you, You've opened the last gift, and your heart just sinks. There's no more gifts to open, and you didn't get that one thing you had hoped for so much. Still say thank you? You're a grateful kid, but you can't shake that feeling of disappointment. What went wrong? What went wrong there? Have you ever thought about this? What goes wrong? It's this thing called expectations. We, 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 we have these hopes, these, these dreams. We begin to live within them. Christmas is getting closer. You're like, oh, no, just, just three more days until I get this thing I really want. Just two more days until I get this, this thing I really want. Just one more day. You wait. You wait. You didn't get it. It is this point that I'd like to reflect on as we read of three perspectives and three responses to what we learn is the greatest gift ever given, the gift of God. I'd like to invite Elizabeth up to read with us as we're continuing on the gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Forgive me, I did not look up the, uh, the page number. I haven't seen it in a while.
Perspectives to responses do you have? Folks, the wise men. We read in here they're called the the Magi, this mysterious group of people that we actually don't know much about. We can speculate. Yeah. You forgive me? I'll speculate a bit. Uh, Magi came from an old Persian word which referred to the Persian priestly caste known for their careful tracking of the stars. Do we know whether or not they were part of this? No. But it's where the word came from. The name Magi was given to by Babylonians, Medes, Persians, and others to the wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, augurs, soothsayers, and sorcerers. In Daniel 2.48, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel in charge of all the wise men, all the Magi in Babylon. It is magi, it is from magi that we get the modern word magic or magician. So perhaps we could sing, we three magicians can sing. I don't think I have questions to sing. Now, I, I don't actually think they were magicians, but we do know that they were people of, of standing, people of, of power. We know that they weren't from Israel. They were from somewhere in the east. They were most likely well-respected men of means. Please note that both Daniel and Gifts are here. Thank you for being here. And their arrival in Judea is enough to catch the attention of the Roman puppet king, if we read Herod himself. We also see that they paid attention to the stars, which perhaps lends itself to this sort of Persian reading of, of some kind of astrologer who watched the stars, who kept track. During that time, it would have been considered a science to try to read the stars and discern what these things are. They saw a peculiar star rise, and they interpreted it to mean that the star proved that the king of the Jews was born. 
people notice? Um, don't know. Nobody gets to tell us. We can speculate, but we don't need um, we don't need to know it to know something beautiful. And, and don't miss this today. God is at work from the start to show to show what's going on in Bethlehem isn't just for Israel. This king of the Jews is good news, happy news for the whole world. You see, we even see this in Isaiah 60, 4 to 6. The prophet Isaiah says, lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth, the wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The early church would begin to interpret these, these magi as being some kinds of kind of king because of this. Where they came, we, we, we actually don't know. But what we see here is a, is an old prophecy that people will come to worship bringing gold and incense. And this is what we see with the magi. It was God's plan all along. I love the way Pastor David Platt puts it. He says, the global purpose of God is the glad praise of Christ among the peoples of the world. I thought that go tell in the manger, singing this song was just beautiful. It's a picture of who the good news is for. All people. It's God's desire that all people come to him. The good news. We see this with the Magi. Let's move on to the next story for us, that of, of Herod. The Romans made Herod the ruler of Judea around 40 A.D. He was called the, the king of Judea, son the king of the Jews. In the decades that followed, Herod would prove to be consumed by retaining his own power. He became vicious and paranoid, willing to kill anyone that he suspected of seeking to take his throne including some members of his own family. Next, we see the chief priests and scribes. The chief priests were those who oversaw the Jewish worship, the what you might call the clergy or the pastors, priests of the day, responsible for the spiritual leadership of the people of Israel. A scribe oversaw the Jewish law. They would instruct in the scriptures. These were religious lawyers, if you will. The scholars of the day who would have pored over the scriptures from a young age. And they would have known it inside and out. They would have it at least up here in their head. But the question is going to be, do they have it down here in their heart? So we have our, our three characters here, our three perspectives. We have these these magi, these, these wise men from afar, men who are, are, are well-to-do, who are doing the research, who have come to seek truth in some way. You have a king, a king who 
Who wants power? Who wants to retain power? What has Paul become to the church? And then you have the religious leaders, those who should have known the texts inside and out. Those who should have seen the Messiah coming from a mile away. And then we see their responses. In Matthew 2, 1 and 2, we see, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What is the wise men's response? The wise men's response was to go. Now, I think it can be easy in a story like this to forget how much preparation went into that. They were taking a huge risk. They were spending lots of resources. And yet, whatever they were convinced of with this star, whatever they, were whatever they thought Jesus was to be, he was worth the trip. But it also says from the very beginning, they went to worship him. Hmm. How did they know? We've speculated about on this a bit. Um, some have speculated that perhaps Daniel, when he was in Babylon, had taught the wise men of his time. And it's through that teaching that a tradition developed in which they were anticipating a Messiah. Perhaps they could have looked at Numbers 24, 16 to 17. Now, this is a crazy story about a man named Balaam who talks to his donkey. Balak, the king of Moab, and this is a time when the Israelites are, are wandering through the deserts long before the coming of Christ, during the time of Moses. And Balak is afraid of the Jewish people. And so he calls a wise man, if you will, a magi from an eastern land. And he says, go and curse the Israelites. And so Balaam goes to curse the Israelites, and before he can, God stops him. Balaam cannot curse the Israelites, but instead he gives a prophecy. And we read this, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are opened. I see him, not, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the, for, the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people in his path. We see a star rising out of Jacob and the people of Israel. And a scepter will rise out of Israel. This is a king, a coming king that a star heralds the coming of. Now, did the wise men, the magi, know this? I don't know. But the early church would point back and say, this is a prophecy. This is a foretelling. This is a prediction of the coming Messiah. And whatever the magi had, they were convinced that not only did this star signify the coming of a king, but this king was worth going to and worshiping. I'd like to talk about worship for a second. You see, 
The three responses we'll look at, the wise men, the religious leaders, Herod himself, I think they're all related to worship. What, what is worship? Well, bear with me as I finish. I'm going to talk really fast. I think worship is the expression of joy or gladness, dare I say even outbursts of happiness, directed at that which we love most, towards that upon which our happiness rests. The wise men saw something when they searched for truth, and they were willing to act upon it. They were willing to move. They were willing to turn their affections, their motivations, to go and to see, and ultimately to worship. I'm sure they had to research, they had to prepare for travel. But ultimately it was not merely an intellectual gain for them. They went as far as they could, and then they stopped. I think they quite literally stopped walking in the direction. But all along they turned to worship. Come back to the wise men in a minute, but I want to turn to Herod. It said when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. This was the proclamation that there was a king that would be to be brought to King John in Jerusalem to worship. This word disturbed has the idea of, of being in great turmoil, perhaps being in great fear, terror itself. Herod respond to this news so differently from the Magi? What is it that causes Herod to respond in fear? What causes him to, to lash out and ultimately seek to kill this Jesus, to kill this child? Can I suggest it's wrong worship? see, he thought his happiness and joy depended upon his worship to God. And so when the proclamation, which should have been good news of a coming king, a coming Messiah who would save not just the people of Israel, but the whole world, he responds in fear because he sees this child as a threat to his power, as a threat to whether you want to say Herod worshipped himself or worshipped that which he desired, Herod had wrong worship. And because he had wrong worship, because he longed for the wrong things, because he loved the wrong things, the good news was terrifying to him. It's disturbing. He's out seeking his own happiness on his own terms. He misses it altogether. Settling for something simple is not being careful. I love the way Augustine, an early leader of the church, said it, put it. He wrote this in his Confessions or Testimony, this little story about his life before Christ and coming to Christ. And he says, many people are miserable because they, they love what ought not to be loved and are still more miserable when they are glad. 
my sin will curse, that I look for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in God, but in myself and his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain and confusion and despair. Christmas is about joy. When you think of Christmas, I want you to, to, to bubble up inside. To not, to not be able to not smile. But first, in order to get to that joy, we have to get to that happiness again. And sometimes we have to address what we feel. Some of us want to do our wa- things our way. Want to seek our own position, our own power. We want to sit on the throne. That leads to death. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that didn't happen this year. Thank God. But there's going to be an end to it. There will be an end to it. Herod was so terrified that towards the end of his life, he was so afraid that people wouldn't grieve his death that he ordered people to be brought into the city on the day of his death to be killed. So at least the city would be mourning for someone. Now this wasn't carried out. But as the angels receive this, we see the depths of what Herod's self-centeredness, his pursuit of happiness, where it brought him. And let's not forget the the religious leaders. It says in, in the, the, the religious leaders are asked, Herod asks them, where is this king supposed to be born? They reply, in Bethlehem of Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew the scriptures. They're quoting from Micah 5, 2, and 4. Meanwhile, Simeon is talking to Herod about Jesus, his Lord. You want to see what the response is in this text? Upon the Magi coming, saying the king is born, they show him from the text, you go to Bethlehem. Here's their response. nothing there's silence now we don't want to assume too much from silence but at the very least we see a kind of apathy the knowledge that this long-awaited messiah is likely born in bethlehem such that these people from far away came to see this king it doesn't move them to action it stayed here and it never moved to herod and we'll see later in this story where Now, we might not see exactly what these religious leaders worshipped in this text, but we certainly see what they're not worshipping, where they're not placing their affections. What should have been the, the end goal of all their hopes, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, when, it, when it's finally announced that he's come, they can't be bothered. 
Tuhan sejuk hatinya Kalau yang masih sedih hatinya Nah Kenapa pula kok angus Ngomong kenapa sih Yesus ngomong Maybe it's It's a desire for the status quo. Perhaps the, the religious leaders didn't want to upset Herod by going. Perhaps they were afraid knowing that Herod wants to kill this guy. Perhaps they were f- afraid of being killed as well. We don't know. It doesn't say. But we know that what should have been their greatness, what should have been their object of love and worship, didn't move them to action. So no matter what they said, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And they said, now, I kind of like to be like that star when I see things in the future, but it means praise to God exceedingly with my heart. Joy is a natural response when you understand where the star is. They didn't rejoice simply because of the star. They rejoiced because of what they saw. When you understand who this Jesus is and what God has done for you, it is astonishing. So I'd like to talk more about that. What does it mean to follow the evidence? What does it mean to have a sign? I think some of the prophecies I'm not going to pull more examples. I think Isaiah 53 is a beautiful prophecy some 600 years before the birth of Christ, giving such a detailed foretelling of his life and his death. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented them. Sometimes we think that this joy led to worship. And I think they were already worshiping before they even entered the house. I think it's worship that led to joy. It's that adopted our children. Because they set their affections, they set their hearts on the right things. And I think what Herod did, what the religious leaders did, they set their affections. Gets gold, sells it for pennies. Pretty simple. Some scholars like to give a lot of meaning to that, maybe in quote share. Um, I think gold and frankincense certainly represents the kingliness of Jesus. But there are some ways using many different ways we see an exodus that is used as a a means to show the love of God. And it's almost 
doing what he came to do when he died for our sins so we could be united to God and have true happiness with God forever. Well, with me broken out to be united with my Father in heaven. When the wise men saw the star, they were when we set our affections on God, it leads to worship, and that worship leads to joy, and leads back to worship. And so with that, I'd like to invite the choir back up, because I want to celebrate you. I want to celebrate, you see, because I think the global purpose of God is the glad, can we say happy, praise of Christ among the peoples of the world. So I'd like to get into a little happy praise.